0: Hello, my name is Naga Manchetti, TV broadcaster and journalist and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this International Women's Day podcast brought to you by MCM Creative Group in London. The theme for the 2019 International Women's Day campaign is balance for better, which in the campaign's own words means that from grassroots activism to worldwide action, we're entering an exciting period of history where the world expects balance. We certainly notice its absence, and we should celebrate its presence. So to get a real sense of just how far initiatives like International Women's Day and others have helped to deliver that balance, we've assembled an impressive panel of businesswomen here in the studio with me, each from different sectors in the UK, to give them the opportunity to debate broadly around the theme of how much progress has been made, and have we possibly found that balance already, and if we have, what does balance look like? Have the high-profile gender equality initiatives made the difference they hoped? How much more balanced is the world we live in today? And actually, is there a danger we've possibly gone too far? And that actually anything that is being achieved by women is now in danger of being dismissed as simply gifted to them through the power of global lobbying. To help me explore those topics, let me introduce you to our podcast panel. Mandy Beach is the director of the Branch Network Nationwide Building Society. Leanne Kutz joins us from HSBC, where she's the Group Chief Marketing Officer. Nicola Perrin is People Director, Consumer at Virgin Media. And Simone Marquis joins us from BT, where she is Director for Talent, Leadership and Diversity. So to you all, welcome and happy International Women's Day. Thank you. Hello. It's
1: great to be here.
0: So let's start first of all, I think, with what International Women's Day means to you, Mandy.
2: So I think any days where we have a special focus on a topic and particularly a topic like this, so the balance for better can only be a good thing. I think it allows us to pause and reflect on the achievements and uh, personal achievements and professional where we get it right, but equally where we don't. And I think the topic for this year being balanced for better, I think it really does what it says on the tin in terms of really explaining what we're trying to achieve and the ultimate aim that we, um, we're looking for. And I think for, for my, my part in this is about being a role model and making sure that we're sharing stories and really making sure that people get what it actually is we're trying to achieve ultimately.
3: Leanne, what does International Women's Day mean to you? I think it means three things to me, International Women's Day. Firstly, it, yeah, it's an opportunity to focus on what matters most, and an opportunity to, to kind of dedicate that and that space and resource. The second thing is uh, recognition, um, and I've lived in seven very different countries, and I've seen the difference that a, a good job may, means to women, both for their for themselves individually, for their families and their communities. And it's often more than just a job. And I think this is a great opportunity to kind of recognise that. And finally, it's also a really great opportunity to celebrate. Yeah, I think it's really vital that we kind of celebrate the progress that we've made, even at the same time as we recognise you know, the, the, the opportunity and the, you know, and the gap to some of the things that we might, we might be hoping for.
0: I love that theme of celebration, and this definitely is going to be a positive podcast. Nicola, what does International Women's Day mean to you?
4: I think for me it's a time for reflection. As well as going out there and talking to people and celebrating the stories and success, you know we all have really busy lives and you know don't always get the balance right mm-hmm. on that side of things. But carving out a day where actually you're reflecting personally, you know how much of a role model am I being? What am I actually doing day to day to encourage? We all want we all want to be supporting uh, the next generation of leaders, but sometimes it's you know prioritizing and finding the time for that in our everyday busy lives is pretty tough. So I think this gives us a chance to reflect and just really step back and say, what, what am I doing day to day? Can I do more? Because I think we should all be doing more.
0: It's really interesting to hear that you want to make sure the next generation, hears what you've been doing and what we've all been doing. So I look forward to exploring those themes too.
1: Simone. I think for me, it means something different within corporate than it does outside of corporate where I'm living my normal life. So within within the corporate zone, um, absolutely, it's about celebrating achievements. It's about redressing the balance of the dialogue, and giving voice to issues. So it's a reason to talk about things that we don't talk about typically, and and bringing some of those issues really to the forefront. Outside of the corporate world for me it's uh, about talking to my daughter about everything that she can be in life. It's about talking to my friend's daughters about everything that they can be and it's about them looking up and being inspired about what's possible.
0: How important is it for all of you to be seen as role models but also to act as role models?
2: I think it's really important and I think the point that Simone made there about kind of the the majority of us, we kind of have home versus work. And I have two sons, and I think it's equally as important that they see what balance means for me from a home and work life. You know, for me and my husband, it's shared responsibilities. Um, And I think if you can get the balance at home, generally you can get the balance at work,
1: I completely agree. Um, I think I'm really lucky and privileged as well that I've got a very balanced household where it is equal responsibilities, which means that I can be that role model both in and outside of work of somebody who can work really hard, achieve a lot um, in a commercial and corporate sense, but I can also be the mum that I want to be. That for me is what, what role modeling is all about.
4: I think, just building on, on both your points, there's something for me around helping uh, daughters, sons, colleagues explore some of the, the limiting beliefs that are around. And we all have them, and we've all uh, grappled with them over the time. So I think, um, you know, in terms of that, the role modelling, it's about talking about those and being open and honest about some of the challenges you've experienced along the way. Because the stories of success are brilliant, and we should talk about them. But also, I think, being open about things that you've really struggled with personally mm. can be really, really helpful to the next generation because it's not its not always easy.
0: Leanne, I was really interested when you said you'd lived in seven countries and just how as a role model, many people will be listening, young people will be listening, thinking, I want a career like that. I want to travel. But how do you keep that balance?
3: Mm. Well, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, and I think it is around about providing that Environment within which you know all people can succeed. Um, one of the, the themes that we talk about a lot, particularly at HSBC, is the healthiest human system. And, and um, so it is about being human, it's creating a system within which whether wherever you are and whatever whatever however you want to um, your your career potential, you can find a way to make that work for you. Um, and that actually is a, as a theme has been quite productive because it's allowed everybody to sort of engage in that conversation. And so that human element comes into it, comes quite um, personal uh, to the point about being actually a bit vulnerable and being able to talk about things that matter to you. And, um, you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter and she's about to, you know, she, in a few years she'll be in the workplace. So it is quite, actually quite deeply personal for me to find, you know, how do I create an inclusive environment within which she feels she can thrive? It's interesting talking about International Women's Day. There has been some
0: criticism of supporting this day specifically as a girl power campaign, a mindset, if you like. Perhaps that the accusation comes through that we're behaving like some men have historically in being selectively restrictive. Now, you are all leaders of large teams, and when you talk about International Women's Day, men and women will be supporting it. But how do you make sure that there is a culture that isn't not inclusive, that still remains balanced. Simone?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really important one for us. Of course, the, the dialogue in many organisations has been really focused on diversity and is moving now to be much more focused on inclusion, supported by diversity. And I think that's the recognition that whether you are male, female, whatever kind of visual characteristics you may have, you've got a whole lot going on underneath that and creating a culture where you can bring all of yourself to work is what's really important um, and celebrating those differences, the differences that you can't see, whether it's your socioeconomic background or your education or your family set up, the way you've travelled in the world, all of those things. If you give voice to talking about all of that stuff and actually celebrate what that can bring into the way that you think about product development or the way that you think about, you know, your new strategy, um, that's what makes it okay to have these kinds of conversations. So that's a big focus for, for us at BT. Leanne, let me switch it on its head. Surely sometimes
0: a team doesn't need to be balanced. There needs to be stars in the team and individuals that shine. How do you do that but make everyone feel inclusive?
3: Well, I, I believe that diversity actually is a property of groups and not just individuals. And actually the happiest and most productive teams that I have worked with in my experience have actually been very diverse teams. Which, uh, and this comes to kind of help, helping team members focus on their strengths and bring what is the best of themselves to that team. And, to, and actually the, the highest performing teams, I found my experience, have been quite diverse teams. And, uh, and that allows actually everyone to be a star in certain situations. Um, and that, that's, that's, my, that's been my personal experience. Nicola?
4: I think what underpins a lot of this is feeling within a team a sense of trust and that you can actually say what you want, be how you want, um, and you're not going to be judged. In fact, you're going to be welcomed, whatever your view is, however you might clumsily express it or otherwise, that you're, you're just feeling you can do that. And um, you know, the, the environment is there where you're trusted by your colleagues and you're trusting each other. That's, that's supportive, I think, really helps bring out the best and creates, creates that environment where people do feel um, that they're included and their, their opinions counting and that they've got a voice.
0: Let me throw a spanner in the works then. It all sounds marvellous, doesn't it? It all sounds as if we're working in these fantastically inclusive places where everyone's equal, everyone feels comfortable. That's just not the reality. At the moment, in all workplaces, and even in your own workplaces, there will be difficulty. So, how are these constructively to be challenged?
2: I have had an example just recently where we've advertised for a, um, a role, and it's been an all-male candidate selection. So, in, we've got to the um, applications, and it's all all men. And we've had a conversation before we've gone to interview. say with well, this is the point where now pause, and we go back out, and we start to understand what is it about the way we've advertised the role. What is it about what's not attracted?" A diverse um, selection pool, and I think that was quite symbolic. Okay, we're just going to pause. I'm not sure we've really been that bold before, where we might have just assumed that um, that the pool is a pool, and, and so and so we go on. We've really we've really got to make some stands in that in that respect. Now, it's not to say that the right candidate isn't um, a male. That's that's not what we're trying to say. But at the point that you interview, let's make sure we've got the right candidate selection. Mandy,
0: at Nationwide, I'm sure you have the resources to do something like that. But when we're talking about smaller companies, it's not so easy.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not so sure. I just think it's... I think we're going to, regardless of size of organisation, I think we're going to have to start making some really bold moves towards it, you know. So I'm not sure it is about size, if I'm honest.
3: I think there are a number of interventions, ir, ir, irrespective of size, that, um, that that I found personally have been quite helpful talked about recruitment and selection Uh, I think um, another another one has been around I said flexible working so being able to have flexible working policies irrespective of size I think is something um, that that is available to to many places Uh, and in fact one of the things we found I found most helpful has been talking about not that the policies are in place but actually are they being used so tracking actually the policies, flexible working policies that are, are in use, and that's been I think a very powerful way of being able to say, you know, are we actually are people actually taking advantage of some of these, and if they're not, why are, why why not? Um, and particularly, for example, on um for on family friendly policies and people be able to take time out um, during their day. So that that's actually something that uh, you know we we've been been looking at uh, and tracking specifically.
0: And Simone, um, I know we're talking to you all as leaders, but I'd be keen to hear any experience you may have had, any difficulties or challenges on the way up, so to speak.
1: I personally have been really lucky to have had the sponsorship that I've had in place. And I know that that's what really counts. So that's a big push for what I'm trying to Uh, build in in the BT culture. So mentors along the way are really helpful. Um, But when somebody is pulling you up and bringing you into boardrooms where you may not have been invited, or exposing you to situations or leaders that um, you know where you just may not have had those doors open to you. That's what makes the difference. That's what will give you the edge, and that's what has really worked for me. I've had that at many points in my career. I recognise that that's different to a lot of other women's paths. Um, I didn't at the time. I thought that that was that was the norm. It's only sort of when you get there that you kind of look around and see that that's not what's happening for everybody else. Um, but that for me is, is what really makes the difference.
0: It's something that's been told to me throughout my working career that if a mentor isn't offered to you to look for one, mm-hmm. how, what makes a good mentor then, Nicola?
4: I think, um, you know, good mentors, certainly approachable, giving, giving feedback in the moment, but also probably the fundamental skill of a mentor is listening, holding up the mirror, um, provoking, challenging, but in a supportive way. And how do you
0: assess whether or not you would be a good mentor?
4: Yeah, I, I'm not sure you really sort of assess it, but I think you you all, you always get people who are stand out. They're the, the people that everybody's asking to be their mentor, and you know who they are. So, so I guess our our opportunity and our challenge is to to find more of those people, show what good looks like, tell the stories of of the good mentors so that other people want that because I guess it's also recognition in itself if you're being asked to be a mentor um, on a regular basis. Mandy? I
2: think there's something also about the connection with a mentor because you have to be able to show that level of vulnerability and and also be able to say, I need some help with, well, the trust has to be there and the connection is really, really key. So I have met um, some people that I've asked to be mentored by and equally have come to me where we might say two or three sessions and then I think somebody else would be more suitable Mm -hmm. for next time so I don't think it's an enduring relationship I think it is a point in time.
3: Leanne? I think mentors and sponsors play a different role depending on your stage in your career Uh, and my encouragement as I talk to a number of people um, more more junior team members is to find yeah both those official and unofficial mentors there are official mentoring programs but to look for mentors who are often uh, you know who are Adjacent to your job, but not necessarily kind of working with you every day, because they can give you a different perspective. Uh, and with sponsors, because you do also want some people who talk about you when you're not in the room. Uh, and that I found has been particularly helpful. Uh, and be able to then uh, seek out those that sponsors again who are looking f- to to support you. Um, but but also I think needs to be aligned to where you are in your career. Um, and and so therefore that will change over time. Um, And so there are some mentors I've had for a long time and others, as you say, have been just around for particular transition um, and I think that's one of the, the critical areas that I think we can we can all be more helpful around is when we're making transitions from different stages to career uh, in, in our careers um, of those in our teams, because those are the times when mentors and sponsors are really, really important. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, my encouragement is to, to find those in, in different places, whether it's in, um, you know, the, whether it's within the workplace, but also if I found mentors and sponsors have been in other, you know, actually other industries, not just in my own.
2: And, and a I've just completed a dissertation on. Um, uh, this was on executive leadership for females, and it was interesting. The research that I did was talking about the value of sponsorship. So that if you were sponsoring somebody, if I was sponsoring an individual, you really overt with that. Because actually for females, there's something about feeling self assured that and more self confident knowing that you know somebody's looking out for you, whereas I'm not sure we're overt enough often you know sometimes sometimes you'll see talent in an organization, but it's almost unrecognized by the person who is talented so it's how do you really make sure that people know that you know this the we will invest in them and we will support them in order for them to grow?
0: I think it's very difficult for many women particularly or People who aren't used to pushing themselves forward to demand that they're being spoken about when they're not in the room. And I think that's something that we learn as we move on in our careers, Simone.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to challenge the paradigm on how we view talent. So we'll all be in rooms no matter what our roles are, but where we're having conversations about who is talent. And typically those conversations are based on models that were created, you know, a long time ago that are still kind of being rehashed and rehashed. And extraversion gets prioritised above many other factors and that is to say if a woman is pushy or has the boldness or the bolshiness that typically are sometimes more male characteristics that they will be seen as being more able having more potential and we've got to challenge that because talent is in everyone potential is in everyone if that's the fundamental belief we would get a lot more from our workforce.
0: It's interesting you use the word pushy there because already there are words and we've all had these conversations in the workplace about someone being aggressive or pushy or bitchy these are words that are often used when referring to females do you think the language is changing in the workplace when referring to characteristics
2: I feel really strongly about making sure that we're starting to remove some of the um, old style expectations that it is about extroversion or it is about someone really having a voice. It's about genuinely seeking out talent to support strategy or digital or technology, whatever it is. But I I don't think that you can't. It's not stereotypical to say it has to be, you know, can I can fit it in a box? It's really tough
4: yeah and i think about what what good used to look like you know leaders who had all the answers who were very directive who you know got results if you like that dynamic is changing hugely and and i think um you know that how we evaluate talent needs to change with that so are we really recognizing and celebrating and saying we want more of these people who are able to build inclusive teams who are actually humble who step back rather than step up to to have all the conversation and to be recognised for all the answers. And I think bringing that lens into talent conversations when we talk about what good looks like is really, really important.
0: Let's move on to talk about the boardroom, the 30% Club. Now, this is a lobbying group launched in 2010 to improve female footsie board representation. It's helped influence the increase... From 12.5% of women on boards back in 2010 to today, where it's up to 27%. I doubt many people could deny that's a good thing. What about the question of whether it will ever reach 50%? If not, what does balanced success look like? Um, Can you put a percentage, can you put a number on this?
2: We set an objective of 35% back in 2015 at Nationwide. We're at 38% of female representatives being represented now at executive level, which is encouraging. I think it's, been, it's about being really honest that this isn't something you can just turn the tap on overnight because it's about bringing talent through organisations. I feel pleased that we're making continuous improvement. We've really got to be bold about setting the expectation – but also, I think it's about, um, we talked a bit about something, you know, talent being gifted to females, uh, opportunity being gifted, gifted to females. You could achieve that by bringing in external talent and achieve the 50% overnight. Organisations could do that. But if you really, um, this is about investing in the current talent and bringing people through, it is going to take some
3: time. Leanne? Yeah, at HSBC, we've made the commitment to for 30% um, of... Um, women in senior leadership positions. At the end of 18, we're at you know, 28.2, so we're, and that's, you know, we're getting year-on-year improvement, which is great. As you say, there is still a long way to go. Over half of our, our workforce globally uh, are female, so clearly you know there, there is a gap. And the focus, as we've talked about, is around the pipeline, how do we continue to move women through those key transitions particularly from managing uh, smaller teams to larger teams and finding them the right roles and so there that's where those interventions around we've talked about um, we've talked about recruitment, but also internal recruitment and promotion pools and ensuring that there are women represented at all of those kind of key moments. And also having also having an opportunity for both men and women in the organisation to have a collective voice. So we have a, an aptly named network called Balance, hmm. which actually has 48,000 employees now uh, around the world. And that's a large And also a proportion of those, a lot of them actually are men because they're seeking often those same things. And that gives an opportunity for... That, that group to have a collective voice, sometimes where they might not feel confident on their own to be able to speak up, but actually as a collective voice, it's given a group of the of the of the of the team to come back and say, these are things that we need help on. Um, so it's been both as it a, a, an organizational imperative, but also it's being fed from employees themselves and things that they're looking for. And I think that that combination is where we're found we're finding where, where that combination exists, we're finding we're getting better progress.
4: Nicola so for me
3: it's it's less about the number.
4: I think it is helpful to have aspirations and to be public about those. But actually in terms of what it feels like in an organization once you get beyond a certain tipping point of you know the number of female voices in a room it starts to feel different. The conversations change, the dynamics change. The some of the behaviors that we talked about earlier start to dial down and other other conversations start to dial up. So I think As long as we're making progress and sort of get beyond that tipping point, which is what 30% is all about, because 30% is that tipping point, um, according to research, where the conversation and the dialogue does start to change, Um, then you're going to start to make inroads into the culture. Are you there with Virgin Media? Uh, We're nudging towards 40% at our top table.
0: Let me um, quote Brenda Trinoden, who's the chair of the 30% Club. You can hire as many diverse candidates and launch as many gender balance initiatives as you like, but none of it will stick unless you have a truly inclusive culture. So I ask, when will that culture be prevalent in the workplace, Nicola?
4: I think, uh, you know, when when everyone feels that their voice is heard, that they can bring their best selves to work every day so I think it is all about the environment it's all about leaders taking responsibility for creating that environment every day in their teams and you know if I think about myself paying attention to who I ask for input um, on decisions that I'm making you know it's very easy to go to the people that you always ask and get affirmation and reassurance about your direction but um, we need to be more conscious about bringing in different perspectives different ideas from people who we know would have an opposite view to us i i spend a lot of time talking to my frontline teams
2: because if i can make sure that kind of the tone from the top is is working its way through the organization that's really my measure, measure of success so i would really give them the opportunity in my in my words i'd say almost speak truth to the leaders really giving people a voice to say does it feel like that for you because actually in the branch network we have over 70% of females so we've almost got an imbalance in in another way, actually, in in the, in the branches. So I think has that's that for been me challenged? Absolutely, has by yes. the men by the men in the workforce. I'm not sure it's recognised so much because when you've got 670 branches, you've kind of got a different dynamic and, and potentially a mini culture in each of those branches. So what I'm trying to do is make sure that we've got consistency of message. We're really looking at the way we communicate because old style email communication isn't going to land anymore. They've kind of kind of got to hear. The messaging in in much different ways,
3: Leanne. Yes, I agree with the, the messaging communication. We know that um, you know that some of the formal standards of communication aren't work, aren't as aren't as effective anymore. So the focus of, of shifting much more to stories, uh, individual stories, and also through video. So we have, a, I'd say, a large proportion now of that communication to employees to tell the stories about what actually are people doing individually uh, to be able to, to, to promote uh, like a, healthy, a healthy human system within their team and how can they share that with others. Uh, and that, that kind of shareability has become quite important so to simple, and, and also then people can use either you know, internal social media channels and external ones to share those stories. What impact do you all think, positive or negative,
0: that the Me Too campaign has had? Um, do you think the world is looking at women and thinking they're simply angry, or f- now fighting for the sake of fighting? Nicola, I see your brow furrowed as I ask that question.
4: Yeah, I, you know, I struggle with struggle with it. I think, um, you know, there's some real fundamentals of how we treat each other and being respectful. Um, you know, again, whether whether it's a male female point or whether there, there's another dimension or angle to it, um, this is just about acceptable behaviours in in work, outside work, social environments, and I think um, you know there there needs to be some really really difficult um, conversations and, and feedback where where we're spotting that things are not and we're not seeing the right behaviours and where people are not being treated with respect. So. Yeah, I, the Me Too campaign brought a spotlight onto it, and certainly made it more, made it easier for people to to flag and raise issues, which which has to be a good thing. Um, but I don't think it's only about women; it's about everybody feeling that they can speak up if something's not right, um, and if they're they're seeing behaviours, and people not being treated well. So that's the that's the upside of it. Simone.
1: I I completely agree. I think its um, importance is is way beyond women. Actually, I think the importance is for anyone who is feeling marginalised, mistreated, discriminated against, to know that they have a voice, that they will be heard, that they don't have to suffer in silence about their treatment, and actually that they can find solidarity with others who have had shared experiences. I don't think it's about encouraging an anger narrative, but it is about saying, we hear you. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that there's a potential danger that women's
0: achievements will not be seen as earned, but instead gifted. Do you agree that there's a danger of this happening?
2: I think this is the worst of all worlds for me. If I felt like I I had been gifted a role um, as opposed to really having worked hard to achieve it, then, you know, I would feel really disappointed if that was the case. And I don't think we're going to do our best for females if we're putting them potentially into roles that might be beyond their own capability because the best you want for everybody is to thrive in a role. So I don't... And and, and whoever that might be, by the way. So I think we've got a responsibility as leaders to recognise where the opportunity might be but absolutely make sure it's a thorough process for all of us because it has to be credible... What I want for everybody is an opportunity to really see people flourish and grow and certainly not be put into a role where, it, you know, it's about fixing numbers. It's interesting you say that,
0: Mandy. Leanne, I wonder what you think in terms of when someone is seen as, or a woman is seen as gifted the role. When is it appropriate for her to show that she's insulted by that?
3: I haven't seen, it hasn't been my experience I haven't seen that happen. I think, um, as, as, as we've heard, I think, you know, historically, clearly, we have been in a, a society that has been dominated by men in the workplace. So there is clearly a, a need, I, I believe, to be able to set some, some, some clear sort of expectations around what an open and inclusive environment looks like and make sure that we have a number of specific interventions that are really public and open and transparent. Um, and uh, when we do that, I think we we we, you know, we, we don't then run the risk of off some of those kind of comments coming back. How do
0: you help women, Nicola, who feel that they're being accused of gifted being gifted a role?
4: I think it's about making the difference clear between doing something that's going to help, it's going to take a risk on an individual and then set them up for success in that role. So, you know, in, on, in some instances, they may not be the finished article. Um, and they might need some help but somebody somewhere is needs to take a risk and and has chosen to take a risk on that individual and the question is is that is that being is that gifting or is that actually pushing and encouraging somebody to to step into something that they perhaps wouldn't wouldn't otherwise have done and so yeah I I think we've got to be be open when we are taking a chance on someone um, you know with the other people in the team and then set them up for success with the right support and that applies whether they're male or female um, but if we're going to if we are going to make any progress we're going to have to start taking more risks with some of our women
2: there's also that there's also the point that for, for, for females i would see my role is giving them an opportunity to put themselves in the firing line in some places you know the risk that the organization might take on them will take their own risk, too, by applying in the first place. Because, again, evidence would show that women need to be at least 100% ready before they would apply for a role, versus a a male might probably think, you know what, 60%, I'm going to give it a go. So how do we get more females to say, take a chance at 60%, like others would do, um, almost back themselves more? So then that's going to take a change, because I just don't see enough females putting themselves probably more out there, and that might be a confidence thing.
0: Mandy, how long did it take you to learn to do that?
2: So I got the opportunity about five years ago to, um, there was a role advertised, and I didn't apply. Um, I kind of looked around the table and thought, they will be good enough, they will be good enough. Never even considered myself, but it was actually my sponsor that picked up the phone and said, you have put your name in the the frame for that. And I said, me? And actually went on to get the role. And I can thank them for kind of unlocking my potential by just one phone call. I would never make that mistake again.
3: Leanne? I would agree that, um, generally speaking, most West women who are are more than qualified for the roles that they happen to be in. And the opportunity really is to be able to provide the right environment where they feel they can apply. And that comes through, as, as Mandy said, through both sponsors and mentors. And also having, I have having a broad selection process and a and a pool of candidates that are coming from different places, and, and there is also, I said, um, a number of, of times where I have tapped people on the shoulder and said, "This is something for you to consider," um, both, yeah, you know, both men and women, but I said, "You're know, predominantly women," to invite them into that. And once they're actually in the process, we find then that it's much, that generally speaking, there's a much more positive outcome. Nicola. I think um, a slightly contrary point to that, because if I look back on my career,
4: I used to be quite proud of the fact that things had happened, that somebody had approached me about an opportunity and, you know, I'd, I'd moved into it and you know, several times in my career that happened. But now I'm thinking... Gosh, was that actually a good thing? Why didn't I put myself forward? And why wasn't anyone having the conversations with me earlier on about those things that I should be putting myself forward to? So that, you know, one thing that I used to be proud of, now as I've if you like matured, I'm thinking and challenging myself on that, you know, because I don't want that to happen to other people that they they're waiting to be asked. So it's about how do we get more proactive in those conversations with our talented male and females?
0: This leads very nicely to my last question. What advice would all of you give to the next generation of leaders? Imagine speaking to yourselves, say 15, 20 years ago. What advice would you give, Mandy?
2: I would say be braver and take every single opportunity that comes your way. And the other thing I would have done differently 18 years ago when I had my first child was I would have talked to my husband about paternity leave.
3: Leanne? things firstly say yes early and often secondly focus on things that you're good at rather than beating yourself up about things that you might not be good at um, and focus on your strengths and develop that mastery that's the biggest gift you can give a team that you're going to be part of and finally my personal mantra uh, which I wish I'd known when I first started uh, in, in my career is manage your energy and not your time because there are only so many hours in, in the day, but it's how you show up in those hours. I found that's made the biggest difference. Simone? I think there's three things.
1: I would say don't see the blockers, even though, even though they might be apparent. Actually look past them and see the opportunities. Be different. Celebrate your difference. And actually be worried if you're blending in. And network go meet people talk to people expand your horizons expand the the people that you're associated with because that leads to opportunity
4: more than anything else Nicola I think key piece of advice is around finding mentors champions people who are going to be your advocates wherever wherever they are um, both internally and externally I think another one is around trusting your judgment um, you know go go with what your heart's really telling you um and if you if you really feel strongly about something just go after that and and the last one it kind of links to your point on networking Simone just have conversations with people that are internal to your organization or outside your organization to just expand your thinking expand your networks and, and get out there and learn from learn from all those brilliant conversations that you can have
0: I've certainly been inspired, and I'm going to take all of your advice, actually, even though I'm probably a bit too old to take it right now, but I'm going to use it anyway. Nicola Perrin, Leanne Cutts, Mandy Beach, Simone Marquis, thank you all. The International Women's Day podcast was presented by Naga Manchetti. It was an MCM Creative Group production, studio engineer was Nick Williams, and the producer was Neil Crespin.